Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here for the 300th time to lead you through these hard times, data, with yes, the 300th episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT as we also celebrate the 300th edition of this show. Vintage Chris Vanini is here. He is along for the ride as he has been for 292 some odd episodes himself. Of course, he's missed one here and there, but we will not hold that against him here. He is here with us for episode 300 to reminisce a little bit about Uh, the history of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, as well as talk about everything that happened this week across AEW. We do have a loaded show. There is plenty to talk about. But Chris, look, this is a celebration, right? It's a lot of fun to be able to, you know, count up to 300. This is a show that when it started, I, you know, candidly did not know how long it would last. I started out by doing SoundCloud audio uh, coming out of my last podcast, kind of biding the time, deciding if I did or did not want to do another show. Uh, You know, the forces aligned, um, I guess is the best way you could put it. And I got the opportunity, of course, to do the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, which is now 300 episodes deep. It was a little bit of a rocky start uh, at the beginning, certainly. A couple co-host attempts that maybe didn't work out the way we expected some format um, issues that we had trying to figure out the best way to present this show. And this show also happened to debut right as the COVID-19 pandemic was hitting the United States, which included the shutdown uh, largely of professional wrestling you know, crowds of all sports crowds, WWE uh, on its road to WrestleMania 36. It was at the time numerous changes going down for their plans for that show, AEW moving to Jacksonville and, and doing all of their shows at Daly's Place. And that's really uh, where you joined us. Episode eight, um, we talked about the debuts of Matt Hardy and Brody Lee in AEW, just as WWE had announced, hey, guess what? WrestleMania, it's not happening outdoors uh, at a stadium with a lot of fans. It's going to happen the, the way they promoted it at two different locations over two days or at various locations over two days with Rob Gronkowski as the host. That's a little bit of throwback, 292 episodes ago, Chris, when you first joined us, but it has been quite a ride. We together have covered now three WrestleManias, which, you know, it's not three full years, of course, but, you know, two and a half years worth of professional wrestling all on this audio feed here. We've had a ton of people stop by uh, for interviews over the course of that time, world heavyweight champions, women's champions, some of the biggest names in the industry, Hall of Famers like the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. And it has just been a blast. You know, I didn't think this show uh, necessarily would take off the way it did, that it would become as popular as it already has. Of course, we do still want to grow and we'll tell you how to do that in a little bit. Um, but man, it has been a lot of fun to bring you all the Getting Over Wrestling podcast for now, the three hundredth episode. You know, I was trying to remember how I got started in this. And while you were talking, I went back to my Twitter DMs. We we had DM'd a few times in the past about like football stuff and dog stuff, but you reached out March 4th mm. and said, if I had a minute, 
said you were starting to, you're starting a wrestling podcast any day now. You're trying to find some guest co-hosts to sub in and out, uh, depending on whatever, and, and that you you were uh, wanted to see if I'd have any interest. And then the next week, you asked if I was watching SmackDown uh, to to possibly do a show. I said I was recording it because I was at a movie, and it was at that movie that we're pretty sure my wife got COVID. <laughs> and, within a, and within a week, tell me it was a Star Wars movie. Tell me, no, please. it was um okay. uh it was it was a Pixar movie with okay. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. I forget what it's called, but it was it was a uh, it's really good movie. It's on Disney Plus now. Um, but uh, yeah, and then within onward? a week, onward. That's what it was. Okay. Great movie. And within a week, everything shut down, and uh, <laughs> so we started the first half of this podcast life uh, in the Thunderdome era, and now here we are. The Thunderdome era, man. I mean, the, the fact that we were able to put together this podcast, right, during that period of time where, you know, let's just be candid, interest in wrestling was, I'm not going to say it's as low as it had ever been, but people really didn't care. Like, those shows really turned a lot of people off. We fought through that. I'm not saying that we're, you know, <laughs> we didn't fight through it like the wrestlers did who actually put their health on the line performing for a long time without testing and without vaccinations and all that type of yeah. stuff. But but they did the work. Um, but, you know, we put together a show that I believe and, and, you know, I think because people subscribe and are still listening to us was pretty damn entertaining, uh, given all of the obstacles. Right. It was very difficult. I remember at the beginning of the show to get excited talking about wrestling, including I mean, wrestle frickin mania. Right. It's a big two night show that happened very soon after you joined the podcast to get really excited and pumped up yeah. and to critique something that is not able to operate at its full capacity. Like it's one thing and I feel very comfortable, you know, watching a raw or SmackDown pay-per-view uh, AEW dynamite and offering critiques because these shows now are normal. They're in front of full houses. Um, the staffs and, and the wrestlers are all there. People aren't out with COVID, you know, they can largely do whatever they want. It's really now all, um, criticism of creative. But back then there were so many obstacles that they were all facing. So many things that you had to kind of give a long leash to say, hey, look, they're trying to make something work. Like the Stone Cold Steve Austin, Byron Saxon segment in front of nobody. There's nobody there. And they're trying to do a call and response uh, segment with Steve Austin, right? So it was just such a weird thing to try to criticize and critique wrestling, which is really, I mean, look, wrestling, it's, it's what happens in the ring, but just like the NFL, as much um, happens outside of the ring that gets people excited and talking, right? And, and that's been indicative uh, throughout the entire dirt sheet era since Dave Meltzer started the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and other people started newsletters and uh, magazines all the way back in the day. But for us to kind of do, to start the show during that time was just so odd. It felt so different. There were many times, you know, candidly, where I wasn't sure it was really going to work. And I wasn't sure that coming out of the pandemic, wrestling would be popular enough to kind of sustain a new podcast in what, you know, candidly is a very bloated landscape. There are thousands of professional wrestling podcasts, and I count us extremely lucky, extremely fortunate to have such a loyal listener base, all of you, the getting overheads who have stuck with us through this entire time, who contributed to the show, allowed us to get certain equipment that we needed uh, are still paying for the hosting 
Uh, I, I may, need, may need to come back to you guys for that because I think that those funds are about to run dry. But as of right now, are are still paying for the hosting and many of the other back end expenses that we have to run this show at you know the best quality that I can. Right at this time, we've taped that for every episode from home. Um, you and I. I think we've met before, but we've never like met since we've been podcast co-hosts, which is very strange. And we've never done an on-site show, which is something that I would love to do. And we probably would have done it at WrestleMania um, or SummerSlam or something like that at some point. So yeah, man, just like being able to do this show, having everyone support all of you who listen to us, who follow us on Twitter, um, it just means a lot. And it's really cool to be able to talk about professional wrestling. I mean, you know, I covered wrestling back in the day. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I had a newsletter. Some of you have caught on to what that newsletter was and who I was. I used a pen name very similar to my actual name uh, back then. Uh, but I did it. And then I got away from the wrestling journalism area for a really long time. And I never thought I would come back to it. It just didn't seem like something that was, you know, part of my career journey. I just didn't think it was going to happen. And yeah, you know, just Thankful, of course, to my my prior shows that I was on uh, with Brian Campbell and Nick Costos uh, and Jack Jack Crosby as well, um, giving me the opportunity to test out this audio medium. Chris, I know you uh, have been and maybe still are on a Michigan State podcast, so you've had some experience in this area as well. It really just felt like this kind of came together at the right time uh, in a circumstance, by the way, where we could both dedicate a lot of time to it, where we otherwise may not have been able to launch a podcast along with our normal full-time jobs. Now that it's already launched, you know, we're just kind of going through the motions and, you know, it's part of our week. We're used to it at this point. But to launch it, all those first steps that were required, all that time it took, it, it really all just kind of came together. And here we are, you know, 300 episodes later, uh, I'm thrilled to bring you another edition of uh, hopefully your favorite podcast, Getting Over. Yeah, and I was looking up the 200th episode we had was August 20 or August 19th of last year. That was also an AWNXT episode. Uh, so it, it is here once again. And a, a special uh, round of applause, Adam, you can bury Horowitz pat on the back, but uh, a- Adam does all of these episodes. I only do about half of them. He's the one who puts it all together. So special credit to Adam for, for, well, I'll take the, I'll take the credit if they the sound good. I mean, if people, if, you know, we're working with somewhat rudimentary equipment, right? So if everything sounds good and everyone enjoys it, then I will do a Barry Horowitz and I'll take that pat on the back. But yes. I am certainly doing the best I can as someone who's not an audio engineer. We don't have fancy production, right? We, um, you know, we don't have sponsors, right? I hope, I wish we do. We, we did occasionally here and there. Uh, I, I would love to shout out the name of that water company but I'm not going to because they're not paying us anymore. Um, or, nor are they sending us free product. It was fantastic, though, I will say. Well, one, one, one organization sent us some uh, underwear, which was tremendous, and I still wear it to this day. We've, we've received, to, yeah, we've received we'd love underwear, to sponsor again. things to shave our junk, uh, and water. <laughs> That's pretty much what we've received uh, since we started the podcast. And, and, of course, all of your support, which is greatly appreciated. And the way you can continue supporting the Getting Over Wrestling podcast If you have not already, I know many of you have, but I know how many of you listen to this show. I know how many unique listens we get, how many downloads, and then I look at our review numbers and our rating numbers, and I know that they don't even come close to matching up. So if you have not yet, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for us here at Getting Over. Also on Apple, please leave a review as well. Let people know how much you love the show. Let them know that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast 
And please also head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast. You guys know a new episode drops. We tweet about wrestling all week long. There are so many reasons. I'm not going to keep droning on here and listing them. Uh, But please give us a follow at Getting Overcast. And I will be, you know, on a quick side note, I will be reviewing our um, coffers uh, of all the contributions that you all have made to keep the show up and running. And I believe that some point soon we may be requesting uh, some additional contributions for anyone who wants to help this podcast continue growing. I am looking into new equipment, microphones, at least for myself, also potentially uh, for Chris. I would like to get a tactile soundboard, which is something that I do not have right now, along with some equipment to reduce echoes and just be able to produce a higher quality show. That's all stuff I would love to do. In addition to paying, of course, for our hosting fees and some of our other stuff, I will let you guys know um, when that's appropriate. We'll drop a Venmo on on the show that you guys can contribute to if you so choose. Of course, never required. This is a free podcast as it always has been and likely always will remain. Um, But I certainly do appreciate everyone who has supported us uh, to this point and is here with us for yet another edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Lastly, before we get to the show itself, I did mention on episode 299, and I certainly have mentioned previously, I had some pretty big interviews that I was trying to line up for the show, some special guests that were going to come through. I was really, really excited to bring you all a special 300th edition of Getting Over. Unfortunately, literally everything that I was planning fell through simultaneously. There is one person that I potentially would have been able to talk to on Friday this week. I had a scheduling conflict. So long story short, the 300th episode spectacular, it's probably still going to happen, the elements of it, but it may be broken up over multiple shows over multiple weeks. So the point is, look out for some hopefully pretty great content coming your way soon from the Silver King, from Vintage, and the entire Getting Over wrestling podcast family. I mean, we're really it. So I don't know why I had to say both of those, but <laughs> I was going to say universe. The the getting over galaxy as yes. uh, Chris Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society would say that is something that I do wish to talk about uh, soon. So the way this show will work, we are going to talk about everything that happened this week in the world of AEW. We'll talk Dynamite. We'll talk Rampage. We always mix them together because so many storylines collide with each other. And then the second half of the show, we will talk NXT in all women's edition of NXT, technically not all women's, but like 95% uh, female edition of NXT that was very, very refreshing and a very interesting show that I enjoyed watching massively and cannot wait to discuss with you. We will have timestamps for each of these segments on the show. So if you only watch one or the other, you only want to listen to us critique one or the other, you can jump around. But I really do hope that you guys on these Thursday shows listen to everything about AEW and NXT because it is really worth uh, catching up and being in tune on both brands. If you don't normally watch AEW, well, guess what? Double or Nothing is coming up. This is really a great time to watch. If you don't normally watch NXT, but hey, you like women's wrestling or there's a couple other things that may interest you, guess what? They've been putting on some pretty damn good television shows over the last month, month and a half. Maybe you should give it another try. So again, I hope all of you do have the opportunity to watch and listen to uh, the AEW and NXT stuff. But we are going to start with AEW this week as that road to double or nothing begins to narrow, uh, come into focus. A lot of matches are being booked. We do have plenty to talk about. Let's get started with, I'll just give a spoiler alert right on the top here. My favorite segment in AEW this entire week. It happened on Dynamite. It was the MJF versus Wardlow 
contract signing. This began with a very extremely well done dark side of the ring parody (laughs) that was obviously one-sided against Wardlow because it came from MJF. And it was all about Wardlow screwing MJF over in the match, of course, against CM Punk. I popped big for Barry Horowitz making an appearance. And I popped even bigger because his label, uh, you know, the the documentary label was Legendary Jewish Wrestler, which is funny because there's like forever. And it's like Barry Horowitz, Goldberg, and MJF and like one or two others. Uh, MJF got Raven and Raven that okay, Raven. Right. Uh, There's one of them. Uh, MJF got another huge babyface reaction in Long Island, and he came out wearing an Islanders jersey. I love that they let him be a true baby face in one and only one city, not the state of New York, not any type of town that's like this or like this, only on Long Island. Uh, They sat across from each other, very long table. There were about a dozen other people in the ring. Wardlow was in a suit. He was still uh, wearing handcuffs. MJF said if Wardlow beats him a double or nothing, he'll get his release. But if Wardlow loses, he will be barred from signing an AEW contract for his entire career. MJF coached the crowd to boo every time Wardlow spoke, and he completely controlled them. It was really great. Uh, The first condition that he gave for the match was to do 10 lashes uh, with Sean Spears at the end as he was counting, not eight, not nine. It's like, Sean, how many? And then Sean Spears, for the very first time in AEW, did his perfect 10 gesture. Uh, The next stipulation or condition, I guess, was a steel cage match with Spears and MJF as the special guest referee in that match. Wardlow pretended to be unable to sign the contract in handcuffs, so MJF allowed them to be removed. He signed it. Wardlow, of course, then cleared the ring with single punches to every security guy, uh, and Spears protected MJF in the corner. Wardlow also knocked out Spears with one punch, and he was ready to powerbomb MJF when Mark Sterling jumped on him and eventually ate a powerbomb into the table. This was an excellent segment, like legitimately no notes. Everything was perfect, maybe a top 10 segment in AEW history. The only storyline aspect that I'd have added to this is making it so Wardlow cannot touch MJF until their match. It's a bit nonsensical that MJF, this genius, and Mark Sterling, a lawyer, wouldn't put it into this contract given how smart they both are historically in AEW. I know Double or Nothing is less than three weeks away. It just felt like there probably should be more than two conditions given the gauntlets that Cody Rhodes and CM Punk individually had to go through in order to fight MJF. And he should be more scared of Wardlow than either of those other guys. Now, that's just a minor thing. It's a little criticism, but it just felt like this should have happened a week ago with one or two additional conditions. But MJF, he was pitch perfect this entire time. Uh, it was purely entertaining. The main stipulation also doesn't give away the match because if Wardlow loses... Sure, he can never sign with AEW, but it leaves the door open for him to sign a Ring of Honor contract Mm. and still appear in AEW. At least that's how I took it. So top to bottom, I thought this thing was fantastic. I didn't think about that Ring of Honor part at the end. That's a good workaround. Because I was actually, that was my one complaint, which was like, why do you need to have such a high stake for the final match? It kind of gives it away. Uh, MJF has lost his last couple of feuds. He needs to come out on top in some sort of way. Uh, but 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 that makes sense. So going back to the beginning of this, Dark Side of the Ring, which I think is not, I believe is not getting renewed by Viceland. Uh, that, so there was a mis- it was a missed report. Um, it oh, looks okay. like they are. 
They just oh, haven't good. announced any plans for it yet. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. Because I know they're working on some other show with The Rock, I think, uh, about the wrestling show. So that's great. And that, in that video, you have Chris Jericho doing the narration, like always. And I was like, wait a minute. Jericho hates MJF. And they acknowledge that. They have Jericho saying, wait, why am I doing this? I hate MJF. Right. Oh, wait, he's paying me how much? Okay, I'll do this. That was great. Like, it's just, that's such a little thing that goes so far. I loved it. The... The, the 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 homecoming, him getting to be a babyface in Long Island. This is exactly what I wanted for him that they didn't do last time. And we kind of talked about it, is that they didn't give him a moment. I, I think it was in front of the 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 the, the Islander fans. He, when CM Punk was making those Islander jokes, see, uh, MGF never got that, like, really take it in the crowds behind a moment. And we criticized it at the time that they didn't do that. So mm-hmm. they did that here. And it was great. And it's a credit to how good MJF is and how well this whole storyline has been booked that the story can start out with the crowd cheering like cheering for the villain like crazy. And it ends with them cheering for the baby face like crazy. Like, like, like there was it, that's how well this whole thing was executed. You mentioned Barry Horowitz. Also in the Dark Side of the Ring video, Jake Roberts was labeled as the snake guy. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I like that. That was funny. And when he turns to Sean Spears and, and, and they're going to do the perfect 10, I popped huge for that. Perfect 10 was such a fun gimmick in that like golden era of NXT period where they could get everything over. And when he made, I think, two appearances in the Royal Rumble at number 10, like it was such a fun whole gimmick at the time that obviously didn't end up going very much anywhere. So it was funny to see him bring that back. And the crowd was into it because the crowd remembers there's a lot of good feelings around Perfect 10 because it was a very fun. That was over interactive. Yeah. It was a fun interactive gimmick that the crowd could get behind. So, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, other than that, you, you mentioned other than the stipulation that we talked about. Nothing else to add other than this was just extremely well done. And MJF continues to be, I think, one of the most impressive, highest ceiling, whatever, most talented guys most must watch guys in pro wrestling right now, like top three without a doubt for me. I'm happy. I'm pumped is what I am. Yeah, I think we just, you know, love this. I told you guys we did have new sound drops. They will come throughout the episode. I just loved every single thing they did here. And look, this is not the first time this will happen uh, or has happened, I should say. But going into double or nothing, this is the match I care about. Like Mm -hmm. just this is it. Uh, I'm probably not going to give much of a shit about the women's match, even though I think it could be really damn good tag team title match, world championship match. I do care about, but not to the level of this, this to me now that there's only, I think three matches as of right now, officially announced for the card with one buy-in match, but this is the one I care about. This to me is the draw for double or nothing. It's MJF Wardlow. This just, again, to be as pitch perfect as it was is very difficult. There are so many segments that we come out of saying, man, that was perfect or matches, right? But at all those elements that you brought up with Chris Jericho, uh, Jake Roberts, Sean Spears, every single thing hit. It was such a well-orchestrated, well-written, well-conceptualized segment that when you compare it to some other things that happen on Dynamite, not that everything can always be perfect on any show. It's very difficult to have any segment be the quality that this one was. But when you do compare it to some other things, and you're like, well, that wasn't really thought out. 
<laughs> right? You're like, they gave, it's like, it's like when WWE, we say, man, they put all of their effort into the Roman Reigns storyline and they don't give a shit about X, Y, or Z. And I did get that feeling a little bit from AEW in certain aspects where things were just sloppy. They were kind of overdone, a little bit too much happening. Um, but this one, man, from the moment that entrance started for, I believe Wardlow came out first until the very, very end, that powerbomb uh, through the table. Like captivated, could not take my eyes off the screen. This is two. This is gonna be two straight AEW pay per views where MJF is the must see match, the one that everybody's most interested in. Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about his opponent at that last pay per view, CM Punk. We had CM Punk versus John Silver on Dynamite. Hangman Adam Page was on commentary. Punk came out wearing an Islanders jersey and matching tights, calling back to that weird promo he cut last time in Long Island. He asked for his music to be cut on the stage, basically just so the crowd could boo him on the way to the ring. This was a hometown match for Silver. He got a great near fall after some quick kicks and a sheer drop brainbuster. Silver's momentum eventually stalled, so Punk stared at Page and then hit a pretty rough-looking buckshot lariat for the win in eight minutes. That enraged Hangman, who stormed down to the ring for a standoff. Punk said he's not sure why Hangman doesn't like him. It's not personal, it's business. He said he would make Page shake his hand one way or another at Double or Nothing, whether he's conscious or unconscious. And then Hangman's response was flipping the bird and walking out of the ring. So I thought it was a damn good segment overall. I'm going to be curious next week to see what the face tweener heel alignment of these guys is, because the last couple of weeks has really made it confusing on what direction AEW is trying to go. I do feel like the middle finger is way played out right now in AEW. If everyone is doing it all the time, it really loses its impact. There's a reason why Stone Cold Steve Austin was usually the only one to do it in WWF. And if anyone else did it, it was usually directly at him. But just like, think about how many people you have seen flick the bird in AEW over the last three years. And particularly recently, like over the last year, like between Jericho's entire crew, like Kingston, I think has done it. Uh, Hangman now, I think Punk has done it. I believe MJF has done it, Britt Baker. Like it's just one after another after another. And I know they want to be edgier and they don't want to be a PG product. But to me, it's just trite at this point. It's it's overly done. And this is your champion. He doesn't need to be doing that shit. This guy can't speak. He can't say something to, you know, stick a dagger in punk and then leave after he says it. To me, that was just, I don't know, a little off-putting. That's what I'll say. The, the, the page, his antics personality or whatever it's been this way for a, a bit now like I, I went to um battle of the belts and leading into that cole match you know cole cuts this promo about how it's like the anniversary of his wrestling debut or something like that and and page goes nobody gives a shit about your wrestling debut and stuff like that and he's like really brought a hard edge to him and that's continued with punk but we don't really have a reason why like he hasn't been screwed over by anybody. He nothing's happened to him. You know, there you know, when he was chasing the title, there was that alcoholism part that they just kind of dropped. So I I don't really know why Paige is doing this. It's not necessarily it, it's it's ramping up the intensity, but if it's if if there's nothing personal between these two, why is he like really, really pissed off? So I that 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 dynamic, it's been a little a bit of a disconnect for me. Um I I like it. I like Paige like this. 
I just need a reason for it. Like, like, why is he, is, has he been on his own for too long away from his friends, you know, and the elite and all that stuff. Just like there hasn't been a storyline reason that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, but I, I, I've enjoyed, I, I've enjoyed the back and forth between them. Punk's got that edge back that he, he got back with, with the MJF stuff. So, um, I really don't know which way this match is going to go in a few weeks, but, uh, uh, so, so I, I remain certainly intrigued by this. And as, as for that match, John, I, I find John Silver to be such an interesting wrestler, a, a, a guy of his stature and size and quickness and the kicks. He just, he wrestles in a way that nobody else does. Like there's nobody else wrestling like him on mainstream TV right now. So I, I, I really enjoy him. We know he's incredibly funny. I think he's got an incredibly bright feature. He could do a lot of things in that company. So yeah, this was certainly a good, a, a good segment in, in, in bit overall. Yeah. His, um, his just athleticism and mm-hmm. energy level is really what I'm looking for. Not, not athleticism. His energy level is like unmatched. It reminds yeah. me of, of young Ray Mysterio where he just mm. goes a mile a minute and it's wild. But I, I do need to say like all the Johnny Hungy references again, all going back to like being the elite and things that most people, most of their Mm -hmm. viewers don't see on television and and not giving the guy really, he doesn't really have a character other than he's like meat man and he's really strong. And like, there's really nothing to this guy. And he's the standout performer now from dark order. He is the Mm -hmm. guy coming out of there where you say they can do something with him. I'm not saying he needs to be world champion. He probably will never be. Maybe one day he could potentially have a TNT title reign or a tag team championship reign. But like they got to put something behind this guy versus, hey, there's a guy with a lot of energy that you guys like to see wrestle. Yeah, like he's incredibly funny on BTE. I watch that every week. He's like one of the must-see guys on that. But they, you're right. They don't do it on television. There, there's, there's a couple of references. He'll make a, There'll be a couple of Dark Order segments backstage where he makes a joke or something like that. But but uh, again, there's not a, there's not a character to him unless you watch all these other things, you've got to develop the character on television. Cause I think he's got all the potential in the world. You just gotta, you gotta really draw that out on TV. For sure. And the point you made about um, the punk hangman match. I also agree about MJF Wardlow. I don't know what's going to happen in those matches. And I think that there's a very good chance we end up on opposite sides of our predictions. Once we get closer to double or nothing. And I always love that. I love not whatever the booking ends up being, will be something that, at least to me, is not that predictable. And I do uh, appreciate that. Uh, Let's go to the Owen tournament. We had two men's matches on Dynamite. The first was Adam Cole against Dax Harwood. On Rampage, Harwood said he'd bring the nasty bastard version of himself back just for Cole to ensure he doesn't advance in a tournament that means so much to him. They traded German suplexes before Dax did a slingshot sit down powerbomb for a near fall. There was a great sequence with like a half dozen near falls. Harwood countered Panama Sunrise twice and hit a pile driver with a lackadaisical cover for another near fall. Dax got the sharpshooter, but had to release it due to injured ribs that he was selling. So Cole spit in Dax's face, I think, and got the sharpshooter in himself, making Dax tap out in about 15 minutes. Strong match. I did think it was a little bit rough at the end, but the idea of Harwood tapping to the sharpshooter when he's trying to honor the Hart family legacy in the tournament was really smart. I love the finish. That actually got extra credit on the grade. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for the match. But Adam Cole was obviously the right person to advance. Yeah. And it, normally you'd say, hey, why is the tag team guy taking Adam Cole almost 20 minutes to, 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 to be put away? But AW's done a really good job of highlighting Dax as a singles wrestler 
while still keeping him in a tag team, which I like. Like, you don't have to break them up if he's going to go on some singles run. He can just be a tag team wrestler who does singles matches as well. And I hope it continues that way. He is having incredible matches this year, and it, it, especially from, from a singles perspective. So it's it's been great to see that. This year has really been, no pun intended, the revival of FTR after I think they kind of stumbled for a bit out of the gate in AEW. They have been stars this year, and that's been great to see. So really enjoy, really enjoyed this. Um, you know, it makes sense to, to, to open the show with it and stuff like that. And I, w- I want to double check because I'm asking this without looking it up because I don't remember. Did they ever announce, are there any stakes at the end of this Owen Hart tournament? Do you win anything other than like a trophy? That's a fantastic question. I I, I would if, presume if, that the winner is going to get a title shot. If it if it's the case, they have not mentioned it enough where I caught it, and I've watched the last handful of weeks. So I just it, it it's always in the back of my mind but of like what is what that's we, what I've been talking about with this tournament. They yeah. announced it like nine months ago or however yeah. long, and then never provided any details. They never said how many people would be in it, when the rounds would be held. I think they recently said the finals will be held at Forbidden Door, I believe is what they recently said when they did that announcement. Um, But that's like pretty far off, I think. And it seems like they're going to be, you know, into the semifinals before double or nothing. So I'm not totally sure. Like, again, they didn't announce the number of competitors, um, all the qualifying matches. We didn't know what people were qualifying into when they did qualify. They weren't inserted into a spot in the bracket. They just all showed up in the bracket, you know, based on whatever whims Tony Khan wanted to do from match booking perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they did announce that the winner will get a title shot and you can probably Google it while, while we're talking, but I don't remember that. It's not something that was ever pointed out to me. The dates of when everything was going to happen were never pointed out or, or set in stone early on or even really at any point. So the whole thing, it's just kind of strange that they had this idea they wanted to execute it, but it feels like they never knew when it was going to start and they never knew how many people they were actually going to put in there. Or if they did, they just did a very poor job sharing it with the audience. Yeah, all, all I can see is that Martha Hart, which was great to see her uh, at, at the show um, last night. Uh, all I can find so far is that she'll be there at Double or Nothing to present the Owen Cup trophy to the winners. So if it's, it's maybe just for, I think it's just for a trophy. All right. Well, I'm sure whoever wins will get a title shot of they some should, kind, yeah. either TNT or Maine, or I can't imagine them not going through a whole tournament with talent like this and not getting a title shot. I'm sure they will. So let's get to that second match, which was the main event, Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen. But it wasn't only an Owen tournament match. It wasn't anything goes match, which I will talk about in a bit. There was a dual video package before the match with the guys talking about requesting that Tony Khan waive the rules so everyone could see their dream match as they intended. Darby hit a big dropkick and a tope suicida right at the bell, which rang, by the way, with 11 minutes left in the entire show. He immediately grabbed a half dozen chairs. Hardy hit a twist of fate through the ropes and grabbed the ladder. He climbed the ladder with Darby laying on the chairs, but Darby got up and pulled him off the ladder. Jeff fell to the floor, and he was just laying on the floor. And Darby starts climbing the ladder, so Jeff climbs and throws his body onto the six chairs. Like, again, they were all set up. So he had to like lift himself into the air and get onto the chairs. And I know it's wrestling, but it really felt like he should have been placed on the chairs. Anyway, uh, Darby runs up the ladder 
and does a huge flying cannonball off the ladder. And I could see his head hit the back of one of those chairs. Luckily, he was okay. Darby then went to hit a coffin drop on Hardy inside the ring, but Jeff moved his body under the ropes. So Darby turned his body and did a coffin drop onto the ring apron, but Hardy moved. So he hit the ring apron straight on his spine. Hardy then put him on top of upturned steel steps at ringside, but Darby moved as Jeff missed a swanton bomb. So Jeff, however old he is, late 40s now, bad back, swanton bomb with no no help onto steel steps. Darby came back with a coffin drop in the ring, but Hardy countered the cover into a crucifix for the surprise win. This match was, I think maybe you can get it from my description, really difficult to critique. On one hand, the spots were spectacular. Like in true definition of the word spectacular, they were spectacles to behold. And as viewers, we got great action and great entertainment. On a hardcore match scale, it's like an A minus, right? And it was only not an A because not enough really happened. But on the other hand, it was really rushed at only 10 minutes. A commercial took half of that time. And while the anything goes stipulation is appropriate for a Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen match, it didn't make any sense to add a stipulation to a tournament match in a tournament that is all about wrestling and every match is supposed to be contested under the same rules. That just didn't make a shred of sense to me from a kayfabe or even reality standpoint to do something like that. And then there's something else that was not lost on me. Nicholas Dominic at Dominic 13 he wrote in, plunging to the floor from 15 feet is probably in bad taste with Owen's wife there. And Ben Porges at Ben Porges wrote the same thing. Uh, bringing two guys in and telling them to jump from high places, not exactly how you should honor Owen's legacy. And these aren't really jokes, right? I mean, Martha was literally there being shown on screen. And I think if memory serves, she was shown after the Cole match and after the women's match, but not after or during this one. I could be wrong about that. I just didn't understand why it was necessary to do this. For me, this should not have happened in kayfabe. Like, I'd have preferred both of them face different people in round one. They both lose those first round matches, or maybe Hardy's not even in the tournament, and they end up fighting at double or nothing in a dream anywhere goes match or anything goes match that could get 20 minutes of time. Or perhaps this could have been a regular match at the Owen with Darby's or, or Hardy surprisingly winning, and then Hardy loses in round two, and Darby says, hey, you know what? You got one over on me, Jeff, but not in our, you know, best case scenario. When anything goes match, I challenge you for a rematch, either at Dynamite, uh, an upcoming Dynamite, or at the pay-per-view. This was a first-time bout that really should have been built rather than randomly generated in a kayfabe tournament seating. In terms of what we got, it was extremely entertaining. I don't want that to get lost when I'm giving my opinion here. It really lived up to the expectations of these two guys being in a ring and doing crazy shit with each other. The two bumps Darby took were rough as hell, especially the coffin drop on the apron. And they're just spots that to me as a fan, I just don't know that they should be glorified anymore, but just because they're so dangerous. So hopefully you guys can understand. Hopefully I, I, I articulated why I was so mixed on this match because I really did appreciate it for the risks and the entertainment value and the danger. But at the same time, I don't really know that it made sense to do this match this way in this tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much hit on all of it there. I, Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy, however you feel about them, could be its own pay-per-view match and in a longer match with, with more setup storytelling and stuff. Or maybe like main event a TV special or something like that. Yeah, we, we just, we kind of get the same. Yeah, the other thing is like, I, I still have just no connection to Darby Allen. Like everything is, oh, he looked up to Stingy's little stinger. Oh, he looked up to Jeff Hardy. Now he's fighting Jeff Hardy. Like, okay. But this this also highlighted just how different Darby Allen and Jeff Hardy are with their high risk maneuvers. Like, Jeff Hardy was like bright colors out there dancing, doing all this wild stuff. And he's doing it for the fans. Like I'm, I'm putting my body in line with the fans. Darby's just all like emo and like, it's like he doesn't <laughs> want to be here. So he's fine throwing his life into the wind. And it's like, I don't want to watch that. I don't right. Je- to that. Jeff Hardy's the charismatic enigma. Darby Allen yes. doesn't want to, Car- Darby Allen doesn't want to live. Like yeah. those are the two and gimmicks. Like, yeah. Yeah, like I don't want to see wrestling like that. Where we're, we're just, and I'm not saying Darby actually feels like that. I'm just that's that's the character that's been presented when he's being dragged around a body bag all the time. So that's just every time we talk about Darby, I kind of say the same thing. So I don't really need to get into it much more. But uh, yeah, th- look, credit to both these guys for again putting a lot on the line in this main event match. Uh, it was entertaining stuff. It was risky stuff. I cringed at a lot of it, but that's just what these guys do. And I, it, it's also weird because I remember when Jeff Hardy left WWE, there were the reports out there about him, you know, only having so many swanton bombs left and, you know, not wanting to, to do it all the time. And yet he's doing them at, in 10 man tags that I'm at Battle of the Belts and he's doing these things here. So I just I hope Jeff is physically OK after doing all that. But uh yeah, so that, that's my general thoughts. And by the way, apropos of nothing else, I'm still not satisfied with like the lack of explanation for the way Jeff Hardy left WWE. Like, yeah, like him saying, well, I was tired and that, no, that you still did something pretty freaking wrong. Like the whole thing to me is just strange. And like, it's great that Jeff is there, but Jeff, even more than sting in AEW feels like it feels forced to me for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe because they just haven't Mm -hmm. had him in anything that he could really sink his teeth into yet? Yeah, he hasn't been in a story. The, the, the most interesting story that they've got going on is on BTE, where the, the Hardys have been getting the Young Bucks back into shape and planning to do a Young Bucks-Hardys match at some point. But if you don't watch BTE, you don't know that's I had no idea that was happening. Yeah. That's I know like they had it. the confrontation in the ring uh, two weeks ago. I had no idea that that was maybe something having to do with that. Yeah. It, Completely it, lost a, on me as a viewer. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's keep going with Dynamite. Uh, we had FTW Championship match, Jungle Boy against Ricky Starks. On Rampage, Jungle Boy approached Starks on commentary, got shoved in the face, and then won a short stage brawl before holding up the title. Taz was on commentary for that match. Uh, Jungle Boy swam through the top two ropes for a tornado DDT and a near fall. Starks later hit a spear for a 2.5, but Jungle Boy quickly got him in the snare trap with Starks straining to reach the ropes. Starks grabbed the FTW title when Swerve ran down. Jungle Boy immediately caught him in a pinning combination, but the referee was distracted outside by Swerve. Starks pushed him into the ropes and hit Rochambeau for the win in 10 minutes. Christian Cage and Luchasaurus came down after the bell. Christian purposely bumped Swerve on his way down. He took exception to that. They argued. Then Keith Lee came out. There was a long delay. And then Christian hung Jungle Boy. The match was like pretty good. 3.5, 3.25 stars B, something like that. The distraction finish was expected. 
though the referee really had to act like an absolute moron to make it work. Like, why was he so worried about Swerve walking down to ringside when Powerhouse Hobbs was ringside the entire match? Anyway, this seemed to potentially set up a triple threat tag team match, maybe a double or nothing, which I would be totally here to see. Three Mm -hmm. teams, all of them with big guys and smaller guys. That could be really exciting. And it would also be a great way to get the titles off Jurassic Express without them getting pinned. And maybe they could even crown Keith Lee and Swerve as champions. That would also free up Jungle Boy for the obvious Christian feud, which really does seem to be coming. So while I didn't exactly love what we got here, it was very busy, very messy at the end. I do like the overall booking if it transpires the way I just laid out. It was messy. You're right. If you get to the triple threat tag, then it makes sense and it makes you're sense. good. But you didn't need you didn't need Keith Lee to come down with entrance music for whatever. You didn't need you didn't really need Luchasaurus and them to come down. And I thought we were going to get the Christian turn right there. Like they were very clearly emphasizing, like, hey, this might happen now. And so they didn't. And I like that. I like that little tease that they're, that they're not doing it. Uh, so, so in the end, it wasn't as busy as it seemed at the end. It, it settled at the end and you could kind of understand where everybody was. So, so, mm-hmm. so that worked. Jungle Express or Jurassic Express. Um, they feel like Hangman Page were like, they're more interesting as not the champions. Like it's about the chase for them. F- face champions just in general, get boring. That That's why heels typically hold titles. And, and Jurassic Express have kind of been that for a while. The, the, the Christian team-up has done nothing for them. I know Marco Stunt was part of the people who was let go. I don't know whatever happened to that, but he, he I thought he brought a lot more to them. It really has done Christian nothing. Did. You're no, right. It's, it's done nothing. It's You're done right. nothing. So if we, if we get Christian Jungle Boy, sure, it's good. Jungle Boy's great. You could do either of these guys as singles. Though I got to say, I know Jungle Boy is one of the pillars of AEW, and he's great, and I love him. I think Luchasaurus is maybe the most underrated guy on that roster, and he's not gotten much of any attention or shine or whatever. He deserves some. Well, it's, some it's tough. He's in a go nowhere gimmick. I mean, it's 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 funny, right? It's cool, kind and... of. But, but like, he, I find his wrestling like more interesting. Like, oh yeah, no, a, he's great. See a big guy yeah. do those things. I'm like, whoa, that you know, I, I think he's incredibly talented. I'm just yeah, saying I'm the gimmick. Saying, I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not saying, saying the... he's a world champion. With, with the but, roster they have, that gimmick yeah. is not getting... It's not going to be a TNT champion. It's not going to be a world champion. It's not yeah, going to... You know, it, it, it could be a TNT champion. Not with the I, roster they have and all the mouths they need to feed. No. Yeah, but he, I, he's he's a guy He's a guy of big size. I could see him face-to-face with almost anybody in that company and be like, oh, okay, Sure, but like, then he's cutting he's a promo about, about being 100 million years old and, I mean... Yeah, I, I, look, I, look, I think Jungle Boy's outfit is, is weirder than... than Luchasaurus is almost because it's, it's clear <laughs> what it is. But uh, a- anyway, this was a good segment. I, I, I'm looking forward to where it goes. They do need to change the tag team belts, I think. And uh, there's yeah. a lot of good possibilities. Uh, on Rampage, Eddie Kingston called into the show like old school style on the phone, talking about <laughs> what Chris Jericho did to him and how it affected his wife emotionally. He said he was going to hurt Jericho really bad on her behalf. Jericho had a really strange reaction to it. It just felt like Kingston's call felt like it was out of the nineties, which I appreciated, but the way Jericho like reacted, unable to speak, didn't respond to it. Very, very odd. So over on dynamite, we had a Jericho appreciation society victory speech that was planned. Jericho said he could help Kingston's wife feel better. Danny Garcia said sports entertainers always beat pro wrestlers. And that got John Moxley uh, to enter Uh, the rest of Blackpool combat club then came out next. Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz then showed up behind the JAS. 
The crowd chanted, you fucked up. And there was a six on five beatdown with William Regal also getting a knockout punch on Jericho that kind of ended the segment. I literally like, and when I use the word literally, I'm using it properly. I literally like every single person in this segment, but this did not hit for me. It's like no one refuses to admit this, but I'll say it. The Jericho Appreciation Society, it largely sucks. It is absolutely boring to me. The WWE references are incredibly forced. A couple of them make you smirk. Most of them don't. I couldn't even tell you the actual names of the 2.0 guys, like the new names that they're using. Jake Hager is irrelevant. Now, it looks like they're probably going to do a five-on-five match, maybe blood and guts, either at double or nothing or another time. It'll be a banger. Like, I think the match is going to be awesome. But the baby faces are like 10 times more talented as a group comparatively to the Jericho Appreciation Society. Plus, they would have to drop someone from the BCC, probably Wheeler Yuta, I would assume, to make this work unless JAS adds a sixth. So... Like, I really think I should have liked this a lot. And I did like William Regal punching him. And I did understand that, yes, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, and John Moxley, they left WWE because they were sports entertainers and now they're pro. I get it. I get what you're giving me. I found it extremely boring, personally. So I think the issue is, and I, I wrote this in my notes, you talked about not liking everybody in, in the ring, but not necessarily the segment. The Jericho Appreciation Society does not feel like a team. They, they, they I, I like all of them individually. I like 2.0. I hated that name. I like, I think both of them are really good talkers and I'm enjoying them. They are. They're funny. In this. But it doesn't feel like a team like the inner circle did. Like Jericho's essentially going from the inner circle to another big group. And it just further highlights how much the inner circle emphasized being a team and being friends. And the Jericho Appreciation Society is absolutely not that. And they're not even, they're not, it's not even like a group of cult followers like fawning over him, like the name would suggest. It's just five random guys that, that don't even look right together. They don't have a shirt that they're all wearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like a group. That That's the biggest issue. I did think some of this was funny. I, I think the, the one 2.0 guy, he, I think he's going by Daddy Magic now. He's hilarious. He's on BTE a lot. He's just, anytime he talks, I'm entertained. And Jericho had the line, uh, he said, I'll throw a fireball in your face because I'm a wizard. Like, I, that, I thought that was kind of funny. But overall, they just they just feel like a collection of random guys. It feels like a major step down for Jericho. He's not, it is. Elevate, he's not elevating these other guys like he did Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager for a bit and, and, and those other guys. So they got to just like figure out what they are. If the entire thing is cracking WWE jokes, like that's not a, that's not a gimmick. Like it was funny the first time. It's funny a few times here and there, but if that's your entire gimmick, that it's literally a joke, like that's you, people aren't going to take that seriously. It's, it's not going to have the effect you, you want it to have. So that that's exactly what it feels like. It's just the whole thing. It's a, it's a one note group and your point, it, you know, comparing it to inner circle, inner circle had, the first AEW champion, you know, when it was formed, he was he was champion. The one of the four pillars of AEW and Sammy Guevara, like him or not, uh, one of the top two or three tag teams in AEW and Santana and Ortiz when it was formed. Now they've of course added more tag teams in it, but they're still one of the top tag teams in the company, Santana and Ortiz. 
And then Jake Hager, who, when they signed him, was really fighting pretty regularly, at least at the time in Bellator. There was a little bit of crossover. Obviously, you had the WWE stuff. And he was just a heavy. He was the fifth guy. So the other four were so strong, it didn't really matter. Now you look at it, and there is no one in that group better than they were or better than their equivalent in Inner Circle. Everyone is a downgrade. And I like Danny Garcia. He's a really good Mm -hmm. wrestler. But he's not getting more over for being associated with them right now. Jericho, every single joke to me feels forced. There's a couple that make you smirk. The first time I heard AEW Galaxy, I was like, oh, that's pretty smart. But like <laughs> now seeing it a thousand times, right? Um, this The intro every week as part of the entrance music, all of the other references, sports, and really them screaming about how great sports entertainment is. It's just, if you did it once and you kind of said, hey, this is what our group is about, and then you moved on from there and you formed the group around it, but stopped just mentioning the same thing every single time, I'd probably yeah. enjoy it. But yeah, it feels like it's, you know what? It feels like it's a lower mid-card faction where Inner Circle was the number one faction in the company. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge downgrade. Yeah, it's, You know what are- it is? It's like, it's, it's like, think about Dark Order before Brody Lee. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. And, and the other thing, all, all these guys, you, you, you just, you labeled everybody in there in a circle. They were all different. They all brought something different. All of these guys with Jericho are basically the same, mm-hmm. like same size, no, same kind of general style of yep. Hager, I guess. But they, they don't really like stand out the way the other guys do. So again, I like all of them. I They're, they're all really talented. I love 2.0. Well, I don't Jericho, like Hager, but love, I like the rest of them. Yeah. 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 Like it's just together. Just the, the pieces just haven't been there for me. Yeah, for me, it's not working. And there are people who disagree. I know some people love it. And maybe it's only because, oh, they're taking shots at WWE. So everything like that's funny. It, to me, it's one note and it's not a good note. So I think it's pretty funny. I just think it's got to be more than pretty funny. Yeah, I, I don't even find it that funny, but okay. Uh, on Rampage, we had Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter against Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. This opened the show. It really should have main evented Rampage, given the talent, given the build to the match. Hayter hit Soho with a Uranagi onto her knee before Storm did like an Alabama slam of Baker into Hater, Britt completely no-sold it and immediately hit an air raid crash on Storm. Rebel interfered, letting Baker gouge Storm's eyes. Then she hit a butterfly suplex with Hater doing a basement lariat and Hater hitting a stomp. But Soho drove Hater into the fall to break it. It was probably Baker who did the stomp. My note was probably wrong there. Baker then super kicked Soho and Storm did a really sloppy rolling pinning combination to get the win in 10 minutes. The whole thing felt flat. It hardly got a reaction from the crowd. Like the crowd was sitting on its hands the whole time. Very, very disappointing. The best part of the entire match was Chris Jericho after the bell when Tony Storm got the win going, Tony, 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 referencing the old band. Uh, It fell way below my expectations. I had been anticipating this match for weeks. Just huge disappointment that it wasn't better. Yeah, I I, I didn't catch the whole thing live on, on, on Rampage. Um, you, you pretty much nailed it all. I don't think it's much more to say. Uh, on Dynamite, Baker's group did their normal backstage promo with Tony Schiavone. Baker said it's bullshit that she has to fight a Joker, but she was confident Hater would beat Storm and was not worried about the prospect of them fighting each other. Not really much to say about that. Uh, so we had Storm and Hater in the Owen tournament. This was the first women's match uh, officially in the first round or whatever you want to call it, uh, quarterfinals. Storm wore all red, which I don't really think I've ever seen from her before. She had a nice tornado DDT. And as Hater rolled out of the ring, she had another tornado DDT off the apron. I thought the combination of those two moves was awesome. Doing one and then immediately doing the other, but the crowd barely responded to it. 
Hater hit a great Uranagi on the ring apron, but a really, really rough and dangerous suplex after that. Tony then caught her with Storm Zero for the win in eight minutes. It was a really good match. It got a really weak crowd reaction. These are two of the top six women in the company, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. from a wrestling perspective. And the fans could not have cared less. Why? Because they haven't been given a reason to care. I enjoyed it. It was far better than the tag team match on Rampage. I'll say 3.25 stars and a B. And of course, the right person in Tony Storm won the match and advanced. Yeah, well, you laid it out there is that there's there's not a reason for the fans to be into it. And, and look, the first hour of the show was a lot of stuff going on. The crowd was really into it. I don't know if they just saw women's match time to like take a breather or what, but they just, the, the two deserved a much better crowd reaction than, than what they got. Um, I thought the match was good. It was fine. But again, there's like, there's nothing going on in the women's division other than Britt Baker cutting the same promo over and over and over. Sometimes Tony Storm's back there talking to Jamie Hayter. Sometimes not. It feels like it's the same thing every week. They finally have the match. Now let's move on to something. Yeah. On Rampage, Dan Lambert got a cheap pop saying he's from Baltimore. Then he turned on the crowd saying he should be built from Miami instead. So <laughs> quick pause before I continue with the rest of this. First of all, I'm so done with Dan Lambert. You guys know. But I thought the whole point of this was to do a double turn with Sammy and Ty Conti being heels and this group now being faces. The only person who's a face in this group is Scorpio Sky. Ethan Page and Dan Lambert are still heels. I am I wrong about that? Like, are you interpreting it differently than I am? Well, I, I thought, well, tied into to Dynamite, I thought they were kind of split because then on, on Dynamite, we got a, a Scorpio promo on his own. Right, right. We'll so I was like, are, yeah. are they are they breaking up or not? But yeah, yes, you're right. And and. I wanted to see Dan Lambert as a face Me too. promo. So when he goes, when he does the Baltimore line, I was like, oh, like, are we going to get this? And then, no, I guess not. So like, I thought it could, I, I was like, oh, you know what? I really don't like this guy. I'm sick of him on my TV, but him as a baby face, let me see. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe they're going to, and then just immediately heal again. And I was like, yeah, I, I was hoping either he's a face manager for them or they break up and we got maybe neither. Yeah. So, okay. So that happened. Ethan Page then gets the mic and got really angry. Like when I say really angry, really freaking angry, screaming, turning red at the idea of two people making out. He said the mixed tag team match is off. Why? No idea. Frankie Kazarian came out saying he's Scorpio Sky's biggest threat and wants him to fulfill his promise of a title shot. Page told him SCU is dead. Sky said he's a fighting champion now. This, by the way, after a month ago, saying he wasn't going to be a fighting champion, but he's a babyface, so it's okay. Sky then took a shot at Ty Conti, saying she gets passed around backstage and granted the title shot. I don't know what's with this group calling women whores every week, but it's really enough. The one positive here was Sky addressing Lambert still winning the interim TNT championship. I was really bothered still seeing it on screen, but he directly referenced him retiring it, leaving it at American Top Team, putting it in a trophy case, and not bringing him with it anymore. So at least they're finally getting rid of it, or at least in storyline, they're supposed to be getting rid of it. On Dynamite, Sky then cut a taped promo on Kazarian, who was ready to do an interview backstage when Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti came up to say he can't trust Sky. This whole thing felt completely unnecessary, but I know they wanted to promo and preview the match. So, you know, in general, I like the Scorpio Sky face turn, but really every other element surrounding it isn't working for me. Well, yeah, he turned face and nobody else did. <laughs> it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. I 
it's basically what I just said. Either I wanted to see them as a face group together or get them away from Lambert. Ethan Page can talk for him if you need somebody to talk for him. I thought the tape promo was fine. You've got multiple storylines going on here where he's 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 like honor face guy against Frankie Kazarian about their friends, but he's also in this other group where they're calling Ty Conti a horse. So I I I don't I'm just very confused by all of it and how I'm supposed to feel about Scorpio Sky. It's 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 too much going on. I think you gotta make it clear if we're supposed to be for him or not. It's weird. Yeah. On Rampage, we had Rio against Yuka Sakazaki. This was an Owen qualifier. I probably should have mentioned this before the Storm Hater match. That's my fault. Uh, Rio hit a dragon suplex and a diving knee strike for a legit 2.99. Yuka caught her on the top rope with what was kind of like an avalanche flatliner, which was a great move. And it, when I saw it, I was like, people should use this more. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense why people o- almost only do the superplex or occasionally the twisting brain buster. They really should do an avalanche flatliner more often. It's a great move, very safe. Uh, I thought it was really cool looking. Uh, Rio eventually caught her with a cradle to win in nine minutes. Really nice wrestling match. A lot of solid false finishes, but there was hardly any story and very, very little selling. It was fun to watch, though, so I went 3.25 stars in a big. Yeah, again, kind of same thing. Fun match. Not a ton going on. You laid out how it went out. Nothing else around it. Mm-hmm. So, all right. There's, there's nothing to, like talk about going forward or whatever. We kind of just, I don't know. Sure. Uh, So on Rampage, we had Hook against J.D. Drake. Hook was impressive, consistently countering Drake and matching him technically. He flipped over his shoulders and submitted him with red rum in a minute. Danhausen came up to Hookhausen chance. Uh, He asked for Hook to be in his corner against Tony Nese on Dynamite. Danhausen pressured him with a tap on the shoulder, so Hook shoved him to the ground. But Danhausen left a bag of potato chips in the ring as a gift. Hook left them in the ring. This was worth a bit of a chuckle. Wasn't really hitting for me. On Dynamite, we had Danhausen against Tony Nice. Hook did not show up in Danhausen's corner. Nice ran through him with a knee in the corner for the win in 30 seconds. Mark Sterling started talking shit. So Nice did another running knee. He was going to do a third when Hook slowly made his way to the ring for the save. The heels hightailed it out of there. Danhausen extended his hand, and this time Hook decided to shake it. It got a really good pop from the crowd. And that's really all that matters. They're having fun. I'd have kept the whole thing on Rampage. It's fine for a low-card storyline that takes up very little TV time, all things considered. This is going to be on the buy-in for Double or Nothing, a tag team match. Uh, Hookhausen against Nice and Sterling. Given this roster, the size of this roster, this feels like a total waste to be on a pay-per-view buy-in show. Why not do it on the go-home Rampage? I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't do that. But, you know, I was entertained. I was probably the most entertained I had been by what happened on Dynamite. But I don't know, man. It's just, it's not my favorite thing, but it, it's fine. Look, I, I've, it's another one of those things like with John Silver, like with the Hardys, like if you don't know like the internet story, then you're just kind of confused. So a lot of, you know, they've never explained Danhausen, really. Never. Like he, he, he was on an AW podcast a couple weeks ago that I listened to. He kind of like explained a lot of things. So I was like, oh, this would be like good to explain on your television show. I think he's I think he's pretty funny. Watch some of his videos and stuff like that. But but they don't explain it. But at least with the hook stuff, they are now developing a story where you may not need to know the Dan House story. You just know he's this weird vampire looking dude and he's trying to have a friendship with Hook. So like that, that's that's a connection. That's something you can understand. 
and it's a story that that's being told. I was very curious about Danhausen in his first match. He broke his leg on Halloween, I think, mm-hmm. uh, last year, so we hadn't seen him. I've never actually really seen him wrestle. Um, I liked when he came out. The the announcer said he was six foot seven and over three hundred pounds. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. It was pretty funny. Uh, and then I was like, whoa! I was kind of surprised he got squashed and. Yeah, and it was an interference and stuff like that. But the crowd booed. The crowd didn't like that. But then they were cheering for Hook to come out. You get the, you know, you get the deal. You get to shake hands. So they, they've they've slowly built it to like it's it's a reason to be entertained. A reason you can you can connect to the story that's being told is that this weird guy wants to be friends with this cool guy, and they're slowly kind of getting there. So it 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 worked. And then lastly here on Rampage, we had Jay Lethal against Konosuke Takeshka. And I'm sorry if I botched that, but I think I got it right. Uh, lethal Injection got countered with a great flip, lariat, and jumping knee. But the referee distracted on the fall. So Takeshka only got a two count. Lethal rolled out of a near fall into Lethal Injection for the win. Superb finish in the match in terms of like the, the actual finishing sequence. And a very entertaining match overall. Takeshka has some real talent. He is someone to watch for sure. The heels lightly attacked after the bell. That led best friends to come in for the save. Satnam Singh then tried to choke Chuck as if he was murdering him. Like literally two hands on the throat, straight on the canvas, trying to murder him. Orange Cassidy like takes his time, jumps on the ring apron, then jumps off. Samoa Joe entered and then gets stopped by a dozen security officials. Why? I have no idea. Why are the heels allowed to beat the shit out of people, but the faces can't make a save? Why would Orange watch his literal best friends get killed without quickly entering the ring to try to help them? Why would Samoa Joe get stopped from attacking these other people? It doesn't make any sense. Why would they come down to save or or to stop him when the heels are in the ring killing people? The post-match was an absolute fucking mess of nonsensical garbage. And really, this entire Ring of Honor storyline that they're forcing onto AEW television, it is just bad at every single turn. That is one big pile of shit. And that's, yeah, another, and that's got, another new sound drop, too. We got that one now. I recommended that on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday show. Yeah, this is just, it's so, it's another one of those that's just totally random. Like, when I went to Battle of the Belts, like, everybody was, like, really excited to see Joe. And you're, you're cheering for Samoa Joe Dukmati. Comes out, everybody cheers. Okay, but, like, there's nothing else like really like going on. Are they gonna are they gonna have matches or on the show? Are they are they, are they part of ROH, which doesn't have, have TV? They're just they're just floating around there, and so it's it's great for everybody wants to see Joe. And we like seeing Joe, love seeing Joe, but, but nothing's really like happening around it. And I still don't get why Jay Lethal and, and and Singh have a manager who is a very good talker, but he's just it's it's just weird when you have Jay Lethal. Like instead of him just talking for both of them, it's a weird combination still. Um, yeah, this is just kind of it's just kind of a weird thing that I don't really know if it, it, are, are we going to get more Ring of Honor TV and eventually this stuff will happen there. It's just there's a lot of these like little things that are just happening for no reason. Yeah, I do think Tony Khan buying Ring of Honor, um, you know, some of the other uh, elements to having the titles, certain talent, uh, Samoa Joe kind of even though he signed to AEW being used for that, there's a lot of actually good decisions being made here. It's just that these storylines that they've put on television have been terrible. Like this one and having that women's championship versus interim women's championship uh, last week 
just, like no one gave a shit and they put it in the main event. Like it was crazy yeah. decision making. So, you know, the, the back end stuff, all very good, all positive. The front end stuff as of right now, really not working for me at all. Yeah. And, and like we, we like overall with, with AW, I think we were maybe a little bit more negative about the show than we generally thought of it. I, th- I thought it was very, oh, it was a very show. dynamite was a very good show. On very, the, yes. first, the first hour was, was loaded with stuff. The, 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 the atmosphere, the energy of the crowd continues to just really come through. It just, it always looks like a party when you're watching it and it makes you, it makes you want to be a part of it. It makes things that are maybe not so good feel like a bigger deal in the moment because the crowd is really into them and AW still completely has that crowd it's just it's doing so many things at once and like we we don't want anybody to not be on the roster we don't want to to cut people there's a lot of people that aren't even on the show like like uh like Miro that we want back but there's just like so much going on that none of it is standing up because it's all being crammed together you'll get like you'll get Excalibur listing off like over the next week here are like 10 matches you've got coming and you're like wait is it on rampage is it on dynamite i can't tell it's a tournament it's not there's he's just listing all like 10 matches in a row it's like okay none of it stands out none of it matters if you're just listing it like that that is that is that's how i feel like there are certain things that stand out mjf wardlow cm punk hangman page like those things stand out the women's division like even the championship match that they've booked booked and announced for completely forgettable. It's going to be a good match night of. There is nothing about it that I care about that gets me excited for it other than when the bell rings. Like, don't care. And then a lot of these other things that we mentioned, like again, Jay Lethal, Konosuke Takeshka. Fun match. Why is it on AEW two and a half weeks out from a pay-per-view? Why yeah. is Hook fighting JD Drake? You know, like two tournaments going on simultaneously as you're building a pay-per-view you have another one that's coming, a huge one, Forbidden Door. And granted, they just announced it. So I'm not saying that they need to be building for it already. But they're going to have to start building for that as well. It, there's just, it's so much happening. The roster is so large. There are so many people that are not utilized. By the way, Andrade, where the hell is he gone? Um, House of Black, I know we saw them last week. But like, is that storyline going to progress? Is that going to wind up being a match at Double or Nothing with Death Triangle? Like, I can keep going, right? You mentioned Miro. Lance Archer has been buried the way he's been booked. Brian Cage, he, uh, Tony Khan re-signed. We haven't seen the guy in months upon months at this point. So like all this stuff is happening or all this stuff is a, is around. And yet I'm getting Dan Lambert and men of the year calling people whores every week, calling women whores every week. You know, it's just kind of like whatever. So yeah, you know, I think people mistake criticism about AEW for not liking the product. I really like the AEW product. There is, I mean, the MJF Wardlow segment was the best wrestling segment of the entire week. It probably Mm -hmm. will be also when SmackDown happens Friday because SmackDown is not a very good show right now. Um, And there's a lot of things that I'm very excited about as well for Double or Nothing. But just because there's a lot of good doesn't mean that AEW is above criticism. And many of the things we pointed out, even in a great match, Jeff Hardy, Darby Allen, something that I couldn't stop watching. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. There was still a lot wrong with it from a conceptual standpoint. Not pointing it out would be would be being just disingenuous. And I don't right. believe that. And that's what's going to be interesting when Double or Nothing comes up is that like the MJF Wardlow match and the championship match we're all really into. But is that going to be another loaded card? And is it going to be loaded with stuff that's just meh? 
I think it's going to be a, an 11-match card that on paper is absolutely loaded. I really do believe right. it's going to be stacked, double or nothing. But it's like, but, well, how do you jam all of that? Like, is it going to be another five-hour show? But it's, is it going to be, oh, this is going to be a fun match as opposed to like, hey, there's a story they're paying. Like, I really off. care yeah. about it. Right. Like, yeah, like, and, and, like, and, and like Hardy Boys Young Bucks. Now, that's happened outside of... You know, obviously outside of WWE and AEW, that, that match went down. In fact, it was the Hardy Boys' final match before they signed with WWE and made that appearance at WrestleMania mm-hmm. that we all remember. But their first match in AEW right now, I am going to, I would bet money that it'll be a double or nothing. I, I would very much bet money on that. As you pointed out, I didn't even realize they were doing some of the build on being the elite. And so far, with only two Dynamites left until double or nothing, their only interaction on screen what were the young bucks walking into the ring, looking at the Hardy boys, like looking at each other and then the Hardy boys leaving. That's all we've, that's yeah. all we've had. And that match, I, I bet you I, is on double or nothing. Right. I, I think the biggest thing is, is what I said before was that, that matches will be good on paper, but they're not making most of these stories feel like big deals because there's so much going on and there's so much that's not going to be on the card. Like I said, you've got Excalibur listing 10 matches off in a row or something like that, as opposed to WWE where, a lot of the stories we don't like, but they try to make them all individually feel like they stand out and are a big deal. So again, like we often say, we got to find the middle ground between the two of these. You things. do. The, 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 the best wrestling that I could, if, if I had the op- opportunity, right, the, the, the means and the talent and all that type of stuff, if I could do it, the best wrestling is a mix of WWE and AEW. Because you look at AEW, they have four pay-per-views a year, five this year with Forbidden Door. But let's say four a year, right? When you have four pay-per-views a year, every single match on those cards, maybe with a rare exception, like CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, which got a really quick build, but every match, every other match on those cards should be well-built. They don't all have to have long-term storylines, but they should at least have like a four to six week storyline to get you into that pay-per-view match. Whereas WWE, they have about at this point, 11 premium live events a year. Uh, previously, you know, in the past, at one point they did 24 when they were doing two per brand every month, or maybe it wasn't 24, it was probably 20. But WWE now has 11 or 12. So if I have a two-week build or a three-week build for a WWE pay-per-view match, that's okay because there's only four weeks between shows. AEW doesn't have that excuse. Even if they have special shows on TV, they have a Battle of the Belts or a special edition of Dynamite, they know that pay-per-view is coming up. So every match on the pay-per-view should have four or five, six weeks of build at a right. minimum. And then you, of course, have storylines like CM Punk Hangman Page and uh, MJF Wardlow that have months and in MJF's case, years of build. So, you know, I'm okay with having some longer and some shorter, but to do something where you're going to do a two-week build and put a pay-per-view match, double or nothing, one of your premier cards, to me, that's just, it doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I think you can just you can cut a lot of the stuff out. Stuff that's going to be on the pay-per-view should be the only stuff that's going to be on your show. And instead of on a dynamite, all we get about your women's championship is a, a video promo from Thunder Rosa. Right. Give her give her something more. There's just sometimes we go a week or two and nothing happens on a story and you forget about it because there's 50 other things going on. So like it looks if sorry, if, if they keep yeah. Andrade off TV for two months, but when he comes back it's to start a storyline that over the next four months will be paid off at a pay-per-view. That is fine to rotate talent in that manner. But to rotate talent in and out of TV where none of them therefore really get built up in any way for a match at a big pay-per-view, 
that to me is a problem. Like if, if right. you're going to have Death Triangle and House of Black do a match at the show, which I have to believe they're going to fight at double or nothing. They don't need to be on TV every week, but they should be on TV most weeks. Yes, or at least one of Rampage or Dynamite. One of Rampage or Dynamite. Uh, uh, you know, you can have Pac versus Buddy Matthews. Why have Why have we not seen a match like that or Pentagon versus Buddy Matthews and Pentagon yeah. winning? Like just build. build you don't have to do like the, building, You don't have to do it the WWE like, way, where over six weeks every individual fights every yes. other individual. But yes. here and there, one match wouldn't be that bad. You know. Correct. Just feel like it. Feel like it's building. It feels. It just feels like a lot of stories are stopping and starting, and that that's it. So, but overall, again, love a AW, very good, love very good episode of Dynamite. Let's be clear. Good episode of Dynamite. <laughs> yes, I've been to several AW shows around here. I'm looking forward to Double or Nothing, but uh, I'm not on here every week to talk AW. So sometimes I just let these things go. Yeah, you make the show go long, then we end up spending twice as much time yeah, on AW as I get to we spend do. on NXT. But nevertheless, that is what happens. Yes, when you do join the show. Happy three hundredth to us and everybody for listening. Thank you very much, Chris. And as I said earlier, I appreciate you being with us for the vast majority of those 292 episodes. The Silver King from this point forward will be talking NXT. I will roll solo because Chris did not get a chance to watch the entire program this past Tuesday. I'll start NXT on a more general note. This Tuesday show, it very well may have been the first TV show in WWE history that featured women in every single match and did not have a single match on the show only involving men. There were five women's matches, one mixed tag team match, and no men's matches. And this episode was incredibly entertaining from start to finish as well. It was probably one of my favorite 2.0 episodes in the existence of the rebrand. And it was just so refreshing with three of the six matches. They didn't throw too much on the show. Three of the six were extremely entertaining, two of them even more so than the other one. So we're going to break it all down. Unfortunately, NXT actually did one of its lowest ratings in history on Tuesday. Whether that was because the focus was on the women, whether it was because of the NBA and NHL competition, or neither, you know, it's very tough to tell when you're looking at ratings. But one thing I'll say, and this is consistent in WWE, is, you know, fans, people like me as well, we we beg them to treat the women on par with the men, to book them on par with the men. But every single time WWE does it, the fan response is not there. If you wonder why there was never a second evolution pay-per-view, it's because the ticket sales and the buy rate were extremely low. And WWE just said, you know what? We tried. And if people aren't going to do to follow it and pay attention to it and watch it, then why should we keep doing it? And yes, of course, Evolution was initially booked and made because of the reaction to WWE doing a show in Saudi Arabia where the women were not allowed to wrestle. And yes, one of the reasons they may not also do another evolution is because now the women are allowed to wrestle in Saudi Arabia. So that issue is not there anymore. But despite all of that, again, the buy rate and the attendance were not good for that show. And even though the reaction was strong from a critical standpoint, People did not watch. And NXT on Tuesday night, they gave us an almost all women show and people did not watch. So you as fans, if you want women's wrestling to succeed, especially in WWE, you want them to get more time and get featured more frequently. You need to put your money and your eyeballs where your mouth is. You need to attend such events and you need to watch the segments and the shows 
where the women are featured heavily. That's my quick rant. Let's get on to the show that I very much enjoyed. We had Cora Jade against Natalia as the main event. Cora cut a backstage promo saying she's ready to fight one of her idols and prove that she belongs in the ring with one of the best to ever do it. There was good action back and forth. Cora hit a tornado DDT for a near fall. Natalia came back with a huge spinning lariat for one herself. Then she suplexed Jade into the corner and her leg snapped on the middle rope. So Natty worked it and wrapped it around the post. Jade caught her with an inside cradle for a near fall, plus a step up in security and double stomp to the back for another. Cora came through with sliced bread, but could only manage a weak cover due to her injury. Cora then came back again with a sharpshooter, but she sold the knee and was screaming. So Natty was able to break it easily as Jade's knee buckled. Cora tried a high risk move, but Natty caught her and immediately locked in the sharpshooter. She inched toward the ropes twice, but Natty kept pulling her back into the middle of the ring. Jade refused to tap out and instead passed out with Natty getting the win in 14 minutes. After the bell, fans chanted for both of them. Natty offered her hand and they shook and hugged also in the middle of the ring. The finish was a bit anticlimactic here without a tap out, but it didn't really lessen the overall quality. This might've been Natalia's best singles match in a few years. She completely made Cora and having her win, it was the right booking, even though the crowd wanted Jade. I saw a lot of people on social media thought Cora Jade should win. What's the point of sending Natty down if you're not gonna have Cora beat her? This was the point. You made her. She's 19 years old. You don't need a 19-year-old to beat a future Hall of Famer in her first try. Sorry, you just don't. 3.75 stars, B-plus for the match. You really could not ask for more. It was a worthy main event and a nicely told story. Natty really made the most of her time down in NXT, and everyone she wrestled is better off for having been in the ring with her. So just all very, very positive stuff from that main event. The show opened with a women's tag team championship match, the Toxic Attraction team against Wendy Chu and Roxanne Perez. Wendy did a surprise attack off the top rope before the bell. Roxanne hit a tope suicida double clothesline through Wendy's legs and through the ropes. Uh, Mandy Rose jumped into the ring to protect Gigi Dolan from a high-risk move. There wasn't a DQ because she never landed any offense. I still don't like when people do that. Perez was going for a code red on Dolan when JC Jane booted her in the face. Dolan folded her over to retain the titles in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Chu attacked in the post-match, but got leveled by Mandy's title. Then she got beaten down and called the loser. It was a serviceable opener to the show. I didn't expect much. We didn't really get much. Roxanne was clearly the best in the ring despite her age. But other than that, there really wasn't that much notable. Later backstage, Indy Hartwell was down in the dumps when Toxic Attraction walked up and teased her with Mandy saying she could never imagine being left by a man because something like that would never happen to her. This was actually really well done given the toxic gimmick and Hartwell situation. I thought it was pretty smart to give that storyline and kind of put it all together. NXT elevating Indy into a women's title challenger. Hell, maybe she's even the one who takes the title off Mandy Rose. That speaks to them having plans for her. That's a positive and it's really good to see. NXT opened with a Joe Gacy video from last week's main event, showing Braun Breaker getting thrown into a field with a bag on his head as Gacy laughed. He came out with two druids covered in red velvet about 30 minutes into the show. Gacy said his inclusion uh, message that he had been given this whole time has been lost on everyone except for the two people in the ring. The crowd chanted, shut the hell up. But Gacy powered through and he invited Braun to join their crew. Uh, The Druids were never revealed, which I really thought was the point of the entire segment. Breaker is going to be back to answer next week. As I have said every single week, I hate this feud. It is not helping anyone get over 
Gacy had no reason to challenge for the title in the first place. This shit just needs to end ASAP as soon as possible. Solo Sokoa locked Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams out of the Performance Center from the parking lot. Then he hit the ring for what I think was his first live promo ever. It was at least his first live solo promo. He got drowned out from Solo, Us, and Uso chants. Fans held up one finger for the ones. He seemed to get lost for a second, unfortunately, in the middle of the promo. And I think it's because he paused so often for the crowd. But hey, it's developmental. He needs to work on all of that. He said he wanted the next North American title match after Carmelo Hayes got his rematch with Cameron Grimes. That brought out Grimes, who said he respected Sokoa and promised him that he would get the next chance after he defends against Hayes at In Your House. Fans chanted, you got lucky. Sokoa is so freaking over that Grimes got negative chance. It is wild. Hayes and Williams attacked Grimes from behind with Sokoa up the ramp, but he came back to make the save and then he picked up the title. This is the second time that NXT has announced a special event haphazardly in a North American Championship promo. Excuse those dogs barking outside, by the way. Uh, Anyway, we didn't know that we were getting in your house and we still don't because they never announced it on the show. Like they mentioned it in the promo and then never did an advertisement or a logo or anything like that. Ultimately, it makes sense to continue the feud with these three. And it sure seems like we're headed for Grimes defending the title and then maybe Sokoa winning the title off of him. But I just thought it was a little bit messy the way they did it. And it was really the second straight time that they've kind of done it in that way. Uh, Grayson Waller and Tiffany Stratton did some retail therapy together. They both talked shit about Chase U and really just agreed about everything. They work well as a pair. And I like that so far they're like-minded and together without being in a relationship. There's no forced romantic storyline. It's just two piece of shit heels that really happen to get along and just happen to be of opposite sexes. Saray interrupted Chase U preparing backstage, saying in Japanese, she wants the team with Andre Chase in a mixed tag team match. Bodie Hayward translated. Andre Chase didn't even realize that they had a foreign language department. And Saray then did the teachable moment line. This was well done. Definitely made me smirk the backstage segment. And I love that Chase U has become baby faces. It works so much better for them. So then we had Waller and Stratton against Chase and Saray. There was an incredible entrance before this match. They all came in together using Saray's entrance theme and entrance. The amulet changed Saray, but her gear got transposed onto the Chase U guys. So Andre's sweater turned from red to blue and Bodhi was suddenly wearing a wig with pigtails like the Saray character before she transitions. Whoever came up with this deserves a raise. The faces did stomps while spelling out Chase U, and then they did the teachable moment gesture together. Chase held Waller so Saray could hit her decapitation dropkick, but Stratton caught her with a spinning Vader bomb. I got really upset in the moment because I was like, oh my God, they're just going to have her lose again. Instead, Saray gets her foot on the bottom rope as Bodie blew an air horn to distract the referee. Stratton hit an insane pendulum crossbody on Bodie over the ropes outside. And then Saray rolled her over with extra pressure for the win in 10 minutes. This was an absolute blast and a really pleasant surprise. It's exactly what you want from professional wrestling and sports entertainment. The storyline and the match were perfectly booked. Saray got a lot of momentum back and looked like a legitimate competitor in the division again after we thought they kind of buried her in the Stratton storyline. The crowd popped huge for the one, two, three. You could tell the fans and even the wrestlers 
all had a lot of fun playing this entire thing out. It was such an unexpected delight. And the match itself, like the wrestling, the storytelling, everything was pretty damn entertaining as well. So I actually went 3.5 stars and a B. Looking back on it, I think I'm overrating it. So I'm actually going to probably go back to 3.25 stars. I doubt it was as good as a 3.5 star match. But the point is, the entire thing was super entertaining. Very, very smart stuff from NXT. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, before that match, Nathan Frazier said he was rooting for Chase U. Zion Quinn walked up and told him to run it straight. Frazier said he doesn't know what that means. Wes Lee walked up and he was like, yeah, man, I told you no one knows what that means. He got into it with Quinn again. So he set up another match for next week. I presume the booking is that Wynn will win the rematch to get his groove back after going to the beach one time. I really wish they had dug deeper into that and told the story about this guy finding himself as a singles wrestler. Maybe we'll find out next week. But for me right now, it looks like a very, very shallow, uh, no pun really intended, even though with the beach stuff, it seems like a very shallow storyline without much depth to it. And that's unfortunate because I thought they had an opportunity to really do something with Wesley. Roderick Strong was training in the Diamond Mine gym when the Creed brothers walked up, still angry, saying their win over the Viking Raiders was tainted due to Roddy's interference. The Creed said they would challenge the Raiders again with without Strong by ringside. He supported them and he said, hey, you know what? I got you some training help. So he welcomed in Damon Kemp to Diamond Mine. But the Creeds were angry at that too because new members are supposed to be a group decision, according to them. Kemp is actually Bobby Stevenson, Gable's brother. He's been in WWE for about a year training, looking pretty solid, by the way, on Level Up recently from a couple matches I've seen. This was a no-brainer addition. It fits the mold of Diamond Mine. And I am curious to see whether all of this consternation leads to a breakup. And if so, what the hell that's going to look like. The Raiders later in a promo said they respected the Creeds for not accepting the tainted victory. And they promised to continue their otherwise undefeated streak in NXT and atone for the loss. Typical promo from them. Decent enough build for the match. Ivy Nile held her inaugural challenge where she put a group of men to the test. They did push-ups, burpees, lunges with Bulgarian bags, battle ropes, and pull-ups. Ivy obviously won with ease, beating all of the men. It was a nice presentation for her, but there really wasn't anything else to it. Alba Fire fought Amari Miller. This was the debut for Kaylee Ray's new gimmick. She got an absolutely sick entrance. Fire, smoke, a pretty cool theme as well. This was also Miller's first match in about two months after she got stretchered out of a match with Lash Legend. Miller has potential, so it was really great to see her back getting in a lot of offense in this match. Eventually, Alba hit the Gory Bomb, which is now called the Fire Bomb, and then she hit a Swanton Bomb after for the win in four minutes. The Swanton was okay. I appreciate her attempt to change things up like with her wrestling style. The Gory Bomb is a superior finisher. It is unique to her. I hope she sticks with that. I don't care if they call it the Fire Bomb. That's fine, but do that move, not a swanton. Overall, it was a strong refresh of her character. I know people were upset about the name, but if the name is just one element, if the presentation is going to be that high quality, then I'm totally fine with the name of uh, Alba Fire. And I think I mentioned last week or the week before, I didn't even dislike the name myself. I think it's a totally fine name. So overall, two thumbs up for the reintroduction of Kaylee Ray. Uh, Santos Escobar was with Legado del Fantasma, saying AJ Galante never should have been at last week's meeting with Tony D'Angelo because he can't survive among people like them. Escobar said you don't get involved with them and walk away, let alone walk again. 
Cruz del Toro went to get the car, started later for Legato, when D'Angelo and his goons attacked and threw him into the trunk of a Camry. They bring out sick cars all the time in NXT. And then they have a mob boss, Tony D. And this dude puts Cruz in a freaking Camry. That made me laugh. Like, why are they using Camry? Now, Escobar found Cruz was gone. He called D'Angelo. They argued, discussed an exchange, and decided to fight next week. D'Angelo went on a rant, and Escobar went silent before saying, fuck you. Of course, it got bleeped, leading D'Angelo to flip out. This was like C-movie stuff, not even the acting, but like the script and the production. I'm at the point where I kind of just want this whole thing to end. I really wish Escobar would go over. I know D'Angelo is going to go over. If that's the case, I don't know what is left for Legato and NXT. Please just call them up to the main roster already. Put them on NXT, on uh, SmackDown, I'm sorry. Put them on SmackDown. They could use the depth in tag team division, men's singles, and women's. All of them would work on the show. Electra Lopez, yeah, she'd be pretty green. Everyone else would be very, very fine on SmackDown. Uh, Fallon Henley fought Sloan Jacobs in the first breakout tournament match. Briggs and Jensen came down after 90 seconds to cheer for Henley. She eventually won with a Shining Wizard in 430, and the guys raised both of the arms of the women, Sloan and Fallon, in celebration after. I didn't like the length of the match, but given Jacobs was debuting and there were really a ton of women's matches on the show, nothing else to really complain about here, really. Jacobs, candidly, she didn't really show much. Uh, Henley looked good. Uh, We had Nikita Lyons against Ariana Grace in the second breakout tournament match. This was Grace's debut. A reminder, she is Santino Morella's daughter. Grace smacked Lyons before the bell, but Lyons threw her into the post, hit a huge roundhouse kick, and then did her split pin for the win in three minutes. Again, didn't like that it was short, but Grace was clearly green. She showed a bit more than Jacobs, but it's really impossible to make any judgment about anyone in a three-minute or four-minute and 30-second match. It really was not a great start to the tournament. Hopefully, the other two matches in the first round are better. And of course, hopefully the latter matches um, are more solid than these were. And then lastly, Mr. Stone spoke for Von Wagner, who was asked about killing Kushida and Ikamin Jiro in consecutive weeks. As Stone was answering, Jiro ran in for an attack, but Wagner got up on him until they were separated by officials. This was a whole bunch of whatever, could not care less about Wagner. And I wish Stone was actually being used to get someone else over. Another person who they could have used him with, Ronda Rousey on the main roster. Also a person Malcolm Bivens could have been used with on the main roster. Alas, Rousey still talking for herself. Stone stuck in NXT. Bivens released because he refused to sign a WWE uh, contract or an extension or whatever the case. And that is really it for this week in NXT. As I said, I was thoroughly entertained by the show. I very much appreciated the concentration on women's wrestling. Doing that every once in a while is refreshing and nothing felt out of place. It did not feel forced. That is the most important thing when you consider that they did this. It didn't feel like it was a special show. It was just as you were watching it, you realized it was a special show. And as a viewer, someone who likes women's wrestling, someone who likes this new NXT, not as much as I used to, don't get me wrong, black and gold, still superior by a significant margin, but I am enjoying this new NXT product. They finally figured out their tone. And really over the last couple of weeks, after there were a few rough weeks uh, about a month and a half ago, they've really found that again. And outside of that main storyline, really, the Joe Gacy, Braun Breaker, I'm enjoying the vast majority of other stuff that we are getting on NXT. That is it, folks, for the 300th edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I appreciate all of you 
not just being with us today, but being with us throughout the prior 299 episodes of this show. A reminder, if you want to say thank you to us, like I am saying thank you to you for being loyal listeners, you can remember that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast We've been all about the five now for 300 episodes, and you can share that by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leaving a five-star rating on Apple, also leaving a review. Tell people why you love the show, why you've been listening for so long, and why they should subscribe. It helps us so, so much. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, if you do not already. In the coming weeks, we should have some more information, hopefully about special things we're going to do here for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. As I said, I'm also going to check our account, make sure that uh, we're financed up for you know continuing to pay the server bills. And I mentioned some equipment needs that may be coming in the future. If anyone is interested in contributing to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast financially, I will have that information likely in a forthcoming episode. But I did want to spend this show celebrating 300 episodes of Getting Over. Thanking all of you Getting Overheads for being with us for so long. Let's hope there's 300 more. I was going to say 3,000. I don't want to make that commitment yet. But let's hope there's at least 300 more episodes to come of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for listening. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King Adam Leaving you with three final episodes. Bye for now.